Get your Bibles out and turn to Ephesians, Ephesians the sixth chapter, and uh, we're going to share from there tonight on the armor of God uh, tonight. Alrighty, just a couple more minutes. Don't want to start too early. We said seven o'clock. We're just a few minutes early. Hello from. Charleston, South Carolina. Glad you joined us tonight, Joanne. Yes. Alrighty. If you know somebody that is online right now, go ahead and tag them or send them a Facebook message or a text message. Let them know that we are live tonight share it on my Facebook and then we'll get started. All right, we're up to six. Let's see if we can get ten on here tonight. Share it with just a few more people and then I'm going to open up the scriptures and we'll get started tonight. Amen. All righty. Glad that you could join us. Like I said, grab your uh, Bibles, your smart devices, whatever you're going to be using this evening as we jump in uh, to this teaching. Uh, yesterday, uh, we left Orlando. Well, we were supposed to leave by plane at 6 a.m. We didn't get to take off till 8 o'clock. My plans were to be here at the church to share this message. We were late. I didn't get into the service till about 10.20. Thank Don Browning for leading us in worship and Pastor Jen for leading the service until I got here. And then I ended up leaving my notes in my suitcase. Didn't have my notes with me, but God helped me to share from memory a, a synopsis and, a, and just a shortened down version, and I felt like we needed to share live tonight. We're usually rebroadcasting our Sunday morning message on Monday nights on Facebook, and then we do a live premiere on YouTube on Tuesday nights, and so, or vice versa. Matthew does that for us. But tonight, I just wanted to share live with you on Facebook, and this will be up. Um, for you to review, and it goes along with our first two messages from the series uh, on spiritual warfare, the myths of spiritual warfare. Week one, we talked about the mindset of victory. Week two, we talked about no more war as we've known it. Uh, then Justin Waybright preached for us last Sunday. We sure appreciate his encouraging word. And then tonight, we're sharing part four, or part three, actually, week three on... Uh, from intimacy, from infantry to intimacy. I'll say that again, part three, from infantry to intimacy. Uh, my goal was to build upon the spiritual foundations, uh, the biblical foundations of spiritual warfare, not dismantle it. So when you're hearing this message, I'm not trying to tear anything down. I'm trying to build upon the foundational truths of the Scripture. And since we've been studying spiritual warfare in this series uh, and pointing out truth and revealing, exposing the myths of spiritual warfare, I wonder how many of you have thought about Ephesians, the sixth chapter, 
verses 10 through 18. This is a text that often is used to prove uh, that Christians are literally in a war fighting uh, a battle. I don't disagree that there are battles in life. But however, I don't believe that it's uh, the previous definition that I once had of spiritual warfare. Uh, And this series, we've defined spiritual warfare. If you have uh, your notes out and you want to take notes on this or make a mental note of it, we have defined spiritual warfare as exercising authority from a place of victory. That's why we started off in week one talking about a mindset of victory, and we need to exercise our authority as believers uh, from that place of victory. Well, tonight we're going to look at the armor of God found in Ephesians 6, chapter, verses 10 through 18. Read that, meditate on it, uh, see what the Holy Spirit says to you. But we have to realize that when Paul was writing to the church at Ephesus, he was writing from a prison cell, uh, and there was a Roman guard that was guarding that prison cell, and perhaps he saw this Roman soldier and all of his equipment, and he was inspired by the Holy Spirit, and he began to write an analogy using that Roman soldier's weaponry and armor to relate it to some spiritual truths. However, the problem has been over the centuries that there's been many, many hours of research and numerous scholars, pastors, and students have had a vast um, array of different opinions and taught on this and shared sermons and we've come up with teachings and thought processes. But the problem has been we've overemphasized the Roman soldier's equipment as well as the demonic realm. And the armor of God is nothing more than an analogy. Um, An analogy is where you compare two things for the purpose of explaining or clarifying something, and that's exactly what Paul does here in Ephesians, the sixth chapter. In reality, we have the armor of God, not the armor of a Roman soldier. And we've focused too much on the helmet and the breastplate and the belt and the sword and the shield and the shoes when we ought to have realized, unfortunately, we've missed a lot of times the revelation of salvation and righteousness and faith, truth, uh, and peace. Now, having that wrong focus has caused many to be dressed for battle but never learn to rest in redemption. When you have a mindset and your focus has been war and the weaponry of war, you get dressed for that battle that you're fighting to win peace and joy and righteousness, but it's been a, you've already inherited that through the finished work of the cross and many have not learned to rest in the redemption. Ephesians the 6th chapter verse 11 says, "Put on the whole armor of God, and we still think Paul is talking warfare. The Greek phrase of God, the armor of God, the Greek phrase here, it's written in the genitive case, and it means, it doesn't mean of God really, it means from God. 
It is the put on the whole armor from God. Uh, he's the source, isn't he? He's the source of everything. He's the source of our joy, our peace, our salvation. He's the source. He's the source of this armor. Consider that the Roman soldier may have just been a piece of inspiration for Paul when he was in that prison cell. Travel with me. Let's go to the Old Testament. Let's look at Isaiah, the 59th chapter. Uh, write that in your, your notes. Isaiah 59, verse 17. And it says, For he, speaking of the coming Messiah Christ, for he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. Now this is written in the 8th century B.C. It's a prophecy from Isaiah. And actually the Roman Empire did not take over uh, and dominate Israel to a much later date. So Isaiah was not referring to a Roman soldier's uh, armor. It was something that the Holy Spirit revealed to him, and he wrote as a prophecy speaking of Christ. And Isaiah was not subject to this Roman rule, and more than likely in his lifetime never even saw a Roman soldier. His prophecy was divine revelation of the Messiah. So what Paul was stating then, since we are now in Christ, we are one with Christ, we have His wardrobe, and he put on a breastplate of righteousness and a helmet of salvation upon his head. We are being delivered by God's grace in this teaching and in the revelation that we're receiving. We are being delivered from an inferior idea about spiritual warfare. And the concept of the Roman armor only feels right to a religious spirit who wants to fight and feels a call to fight for the works that they are uh, performing and doing. But listen, sons and daughters, I'm talking to you, sons and daughters of the king, you are fitted with robes and crowns for intimacy and dominion, not for battle. If we stop at Ephesians, the sixth chapter, we only have a perspective of analogized armor. So the analogy of armor, if we stop there, we're still in an infant, immature state fighting and not realizing what we've really received from Papa. Um, so the armor of God and of righteousness has an element of light. All three references in 2 Corinthians 6, 7 and in Romans 13, 13, as well as Ephesians 6, 10, tells us that it is an armor from God, it's an armor of righteousness, and it has an element of light. All three of these references are pointing to the finished work of the cross. Can anybody say amen? I hope this is helping someone this evening. You're getting encouraged and lifted, and you're seeing the armor from God in a different light. Now, if we continue to draw from the study uh, and study the inferior analogy of this Roman weaponry, um, we will stay in an infant state always fighting like a bunch of babies, toddlers, wanting their toy and not sharing and wanting their food the way that they want it and just always fighting and arguing. 
But we're not going to stop there. We're not going to draw from that inferior analogy. We're going to establish and believe that the source of this armor is from Abba. So I have a question. If you know me, you know that I like questions. And my question this evening is, are you willing to stay with that inferior analogy of a Roman soldier's armor? For instance, the helmet. Or are you willing to believe that you were promised a crown? Helmet or crown? Again, I'm not trying to dismantle anything. I'm trying to get us to move from an infantry mindset to intimacy with the king. Would you stop with armor when you've been told to put on Christ himself? Let's look at each piece of this armor and look at the reality of what Paul was really trying to tell us. Again, not overemphasizing the Roman soldiers' equipment, but looking at the reality of what Paul was trying to say. Let's look at the helmet of salvation. This piece of armor is not a helmet of a Roman soldier. It is salvation. And the reality of salvation is what protects our minds and silences the voice of the accuser. You know, the battlefield is in the mind. I'm convinced more now than I ever have been. Believers, born again, uh, received Christ, saved, wholly saved, eternally saved, but we're being saved in our minds. That's where the voice of the accuser is, and so... When we have confidence in our salvation, that we don't have to earn it and we don't have to work to keep it, uh, we didn't obtain it by any work and we won't retain it by any work, it's a gift that's been given to us and we don't have to fight to keep it, then this salvation of our minds will give us protection uh, and it will silence the voice of the accuser, the defeated one. In a war mentality... The infantry are the lowest-ranking foot soldiers engaging in hand-to-hand combat. If you've listened to any of this teaching, we've talked about that it's the spiritual warfare is not about hand-to-hand combat with an enemy that's already been defeated. It's about a face-to-face encounter with one who won the victory for us. In those face-to-face encounters, then we begin to believe that we really have what he said we have and we're really... We really are who he said we were. So we then can exercise our authority from a place of victory. Now the root word of infantry is infant. Uh, That means a lack of experience. Uh, Let's not plan on staying in the infantry. Let's, Let's not plan on staying in an infant state. The Lord wants us to move from a helmet mentality to a crown mentality. Let's look at another piece of the armor, the breastplate of righteousness. Again, it's worth repeating, this piece of armor isn't a breastplate, it's righteousness. The revelation, get a hold of this tonight, This, this is an incredible statement, the revelation of righteousness by faith eliminates all human involvement. See, if, if we think that there's a breastplate that we have to literally put on and we don't believe that 2 Corinthians 5.21, 1 
where Paul tells us that we who knew, he who knew no sin became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God, a revelation of righteousness by faith, not by works, not by fighting and warring and engaging with a defeated enemy. It eliminates all human involvement. So we don't engage in a battle. We encounter the, bride, the groom in the bedroom the bedchambers. Again, we don't fight for it. We don't fight to keep it. We don't fight to win it. It's inherited. This piece of armor is a constant reminder that the faithfulness of Jesus forever protects our new life in Him. Never, We are never, ever, ever seen in the sight of Papa as a sinner again. But should we be satisfied with engaging in a battle and putting on a breastplate, we will never move into, into that superior revelation of righteousness. Listen, as the bride of Christ, we are robed for the bedchamber, not suited for the battlefield. Talking about moving from infantry to intimacy. We are free from the sounds and the smells of battle. We've moved from a place of war to a bedroom of peace. And the Holy Spirit wants to take your armor of war, the blood-stained garments off, replacing them with the actual robe of Christ. If you'll go back and listen uh, to a couple of the other messages, we brought a, forth a scripture from Proverbs that reminded us that all of the blood-stained garments of war uh, have been burned because the battle is over. No longer infantrymen, but intimacy with him. That's moving into a superior revelation of righteousness. Next, we look at the belt of truth. This one piece holds the entire set of armor together. It is the truth. Uh, the scripture says that if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. It's knowing the truth. That truth there is capitalized in the scripture, meaning Christ himself, because he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In Jesus is both, he's full of grace and truth. You can't separate them. Grace and truth are in Jesus, and altogether he's lovely. He's what holds it all together. The truth is, because of the finished work, you are holy, justified, accepted, into the beloved in his sight. This, the belt is an essential part no matter where your depth in Christ is, no matter where you are on your journey tonight. The truth is the essential part of what holds it together. Jesus holds it together, and he is truth. Hmm, that's good. That's a, a superior revelation. It's not an inferior study of a Roman soldier's weaponry. Let's look at the shield of faith. Again, it's worth repeating that this is not a piece of a Roman soldier's armor. It is faith. The faith of God should cause us to approach every impossible situation, every impossibility, knowing that we are seated in the reality and the realm of the invincible. I'm, I didn't say that you're Superman and that you're invincible and that you can take 
jump out in front of a bullet and, and not be harmed by it. The realm or the reality of invincibility means that because Jesus won the victory for you, defeated the enemy, uh, Colossians 2 says, at the cross he nailed the ordinances that were written against you on stone tablets to the cross. Then he paraded all principalities and powers around derobing, deranking, dethroning all of those principalities and powers. He wasn't their prisoner. <laughs> they were his prisoner. Therefore, you cannot lose because Jesus has already won the battle. So by faith, knowing that you cannot lose the battle, by faith, eliminating all human, uh, just all of that we could, the element of our humanness to try to defeat uh, someone that's already been defeated, the impossibilities become possible. Faith assures us that no weapon formed against us shall prosper, and every tongue that rises up against you shall flee. So what kind of shield do you need when you are confident in the one who has provided the armor for you? Um, say this with me. I am divinely protected by Papa. Say that to yourself. Repeat that. You are divinely protected. It says there in Ephesians that the shield of faith is lifted. Faith is lifted to quench all the fiery darts of the devil. Now, those aren't real fire darts that are being thrown from a defeated foe. That word fiery darts there means trickery. And the deception, uh, the accuser, would, the battle in the mind, trying to get you uh, to trick you into believing something that is a lie. And a lot of people have unfortunately bought into a lie. They've missed the truth. Therefore, they, are, they, seem, um, they don't seem invincible at all. They always are feeling defeated. Well, you cannot feel defeated when you are more than a conqueror, meaning Jesus won the battle for you. Believe that by faith. Then we have the shoes of the gospel of peace. I believe that these shoes are special ordered shoes from the king who has a government of peace that will have no end. So if you see it from a place of victory, uh, we are told that our enemies are our footstool. So if we're seated in the heavenly Christ with him uh, at the right hand of the Father in Christ, then his enemies are his footstool. So therefore our enemy who is defeated is our footstool. And, and these aren't dirty boots of infantry on the ground that you're propping up on this footstool. They look like slippers, slippers for the bedroom. Romans 16, 29 says, With a warfare consciousness, we see ourselves stomping the enemy under our feet, so we need boots. But if it's the God of peace who has crushed Satan under our feet, it's peace, not war. It's slippers, not boots. Think about it. We're the bride of Christ. Are we wearing boots? Are we in a battle? And again, I don't disagree that there's a battle. I just believe that the enemy has been defeated. So is it boots or slippers? Are you in the bedchamber of intimacy? Or do you have an inferior concept of, 
and you see yourself in boots on the battlefield. Then we look at the sword of the Spirit. And because we're seated in our slippers of peace, we can wield our sword correctly. Not swinging it out of fear, but with precision proclaiming the promises of God. See, we don't take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, the Scripture, and we don't wield it to slice people open with it. The sword is actually the tongue, and we swing the sword, the tongue, by the direction of the Holy Spirit. And he reminds us of all Jesus said, so we don't swing the sword in reaction to the adversary, but in response to the Holy Spirit. I'm going to say that again. We don't wield the tongue, the sword, <laughs> in reaction to the adversary, who is a liar, who will try to trick you in your mind, but we wield that sword in response to the Holy Spirit. The sword is not wielded by hand, but proceeds from our mouth. This is really a weapons upgrade. Uh, not using it in an inferior matter, um, but using it uh, in an upgrade manner to proclaim the promises of God. If you're still in infantry mode as a foot soldier engaging in hand-to-hand -hand combat, you will want to wield your sword. My question is, who are you fighting? Because we're wrestling against flesh or blood. Who are, your fi are you fighting? Your enemy's already been defeated. Victory is yours. But when you're called up to the Calvary, you are seated. And that from that elevated place of being seated, you can more effectively use the sword directed by the Holy Spirit and proclaim the promises. And this place is reserved for those who are walking in the Spirit, not waging war. I'm about to wrap it up here. Got a question for you. Does a crown, robe, and slippers seem too far out of reach for you, child of God? I'm not disregarding the foundation of Ephesians 6. I'm just submitting to you that it isn't a good place to stop. So if you just come to Ephesians, the sixth chapter, verse 10 through 18, and you stop there, and in an infant immature with a lack of experience, you try to prove that there is a war that is still waging, you don't move on to the superior revelation of righteousness, truth, faith, peace, you stay stuck and you're still trying to battle. The government of King Saul believes on, in putting on warfare garments. Do you remember that? The government of Saul believes in putting on warfare garments. When David came to approach Goliath in that battle, Saul's government wanted him to put on a warfare garment. He tried to... Um, suit David up in his armor and give him his sword, David wasn't able to battle that way. He wasn't going to wield a sword and have a breastplate of, you know, and, a, and a shield and a helmet. No, see, the government from the throne of David 
knows that there is no need for armor when you remember the previous history of victory with Papa. So he came against Goliath and he said, I don't come with a sword and a spear, but I come against you in the name. See, he wielded the sword correctly by direction of the Spirit and he used the name of the Lord of hosts. Beloved, your identity is seen this way. If it's not seen this way, then you are no different than the cowards of Saul's armies dressed in battle uh, in the valley uh, along the hillsides being taunted by a giant. And you're always going to be wanting to fight standing there in your armor and never experiencing the victory. We come against the enemy in the name of the Lord of hosts and remind the enemy that they are defeated and that they have no authority. So spiritual warfare is exercising your authority from a place of victory. This armor is from God, and because of all that Jesus has done, if we will put on salvation, righteousness, truth, peace, faith, and wield the sword of the Spirit, we will enjoy victory every time. Once again, spiritual warfare is less about hand-to-hand combat and more about face-to-face encounters with the bridegroom. Battlefield or bedroom? Infantry or intimacy? Let's not stop with Ephesians 6. Let's move on to the crown, the robe of righteousness, the slippers of peace. Jesus, who is altogether lovely, holding it together. Faith that removes all human element. And let's have that much superior revelation from these realities and not overemphasize this Roman soldier's equipment. If you have questions, a prayer request, a comment, a statement, leave it there in the comments. I hope that this encouraged you tonight. I hope that it strengthened you. Uh, I'm just submitting information to you. Uh, Wherever you are in your journey, you take what you can take and chew it up and uh, just let it be bread and life to you tonight. If you can't, just spit out the bones and continue to allow the Holy Spirit to reveal new revelation to you as you meditate on the Word. I want to pray with you tonight as uh, we close this service. If you have a prayer request, put it in the comments and we'll be sure to pray with you over uh, your request tonight. Thank you, Father, for helping us tonight. I pray that something that we said and shared encouraged the believer. Anyone who has not placed their faith in you tonight and they're watching or listening, I pray that they would be encouraged to uh, place their faith in the finished work of the cross. Come to the realization that you have reconciled them to yourself and now they need to be reconciled to what you've done for them. Lift, encourage, heal, deliver, set free, and may we be a light in the darkness and the chaos that's around us. Thank you for all that you've done for us and all that you're going to do. And we pray this in Jesus' name, believing. Amen and amen. Thank you for joining us. God bless you. We hope that you had a wonderful evening listening to us. God bless.